I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of like a universal principle. You can't know what you want unless you know what you don't want. That's just the nature of duality that we live in. Can't know up without down. You can't know birth without death. And so therefore you can't know who you are unless you know who you aren't. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor, Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. My next guest is the founder of Always On Purpose. She's a transformational coach and facilitator working with the biggest names in tech, organizations such as Salesforce, Facebook, LinkedIn, and more. And she's got a book out called Living on Purpose. My next guest is Amy Wong. And we dive into rejection, into limiting beliefs, into that inner voice inside of you that just consistently nags at you in a negative fashion. The conversation goes in different places, but always focuses on you, on how to better make better choices, on how to live a better life. This is a wonderful conversation. In fact, I've referenced her book a few times. Let's listen in to Amy Wong. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, Success Magazine podcast. And today I've got Amy Wong with me. She's got an amazing book that everyone needs to read. Pick this one up, please, on her website, which I'll give you. But Amy, uh, you know, people always talk about matching shirts, matching hats, even jewelry, but we're matching backgrounds. <laughs> I knew I liked you the moment you popped up on the screen. I was like, oh my gosh, kindred spirits. Seriously, seriously. I know. I look, I was like, wow, our shelving is the same. Our style is the same. I know. You ever get judged on people and be like, you don't read that much. Come on. <laughs> no, but I do get asked often, do people judge based on backgrounds? And I'm like, gosh, Ooh. you know, I it's we first impressions are big, you know, and all the communication workshops and all the communication work I do. I'm like, that is something you want to think about. Yeah. What does it communicate? <laughs> That's true. All right. Really quick. Yes. What book have you read over the last few months or a year that that's really been like, oh, wow, this one's, this one's different standing out. You like it a lot. You've gone back to it mentally. The first book that came to mind was Gabor Mate's recent book called The Myth of Normal. And oh. I just so appreciate how he's really helping make mainstream this deep understanding of, of trauma and how it really, truly influence. I mean, it, it is the determinant of our health mm -hmm. um, and this idea that illness isn't a thing that just happens to us, but it's a process that we go through because of these things that are really unresolved stuck in our bodies. I, I just thought it was, it was a page turner. It's a big one. It's, I mean, it's a big book, but man, it's, I, 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 I really appreciate it. Okay. I like that. I like that for me, it's a little bit of an older book, not too old, but, but I don't know if you've ever read um, Shane Parrish's, any of Shane Parrish's uh, mental models books. No. Uh, Sounds fast. He, he's yeah. He's got a good, he's got a good podcast. So 
take a look at it's called uh, great mental models i think volume one there's three but okay. those are really good i think i think you would enjoy that so okay based, I, I'm, based I'm on our background <laughs> uh look let, yeah. let's get right into this you have an amazing book i'm very pleasantly surprised and i want to start with one question i wrote out here that that stood out for me what do you think is missing when it comes to feeling more connected to the people around you? Is it as simple as not being present with all this tech or does it go deeper? I think there's two parts to this. I think what you just touched upon is huge. Being present is everything. And tech, social media, we have so much just so many distractions that's going to pull us away from the present moment and steal away that attention that other people so desperately crave. So that's a big one. The other thing that I think is really important to remember, and this is going to sound like such a cliche, but it's it's really, it comes down to self-love and self-acceptance. And it's that statement I know, you know, we've all heard since we were young, which is, you know, you can't love another until you love yourself. And it really goes true with connection. You can't connect with another really, unless you know, unless you connect with yourself. And then you have to wonder, well, why, why is that the case, and the way I see it, is, you, well, if you if you don't, the only way you're going to know what connection is is if you can connect fundamentally to to who you are first. That really serves as the as the basis for what genuine connection is. And so, you know, to genuinely connect with others, that that requ- that requires that we have to be objective, that we have to be unconditional, that we have there's compassion there, presence, as you mentioned. But the way to achieve that really comes from a genuine self-love, uh, that that genuine love of oneself, self-acceptance. So this is a really right. big, really deep conversation. Yeah, I, I want to go. I yeah. want to go there yeah. because what I'm what I'm also sensing is if I'm being, if I have like self-love, self-acceptance, that that piece. I feel like I've got to be forgiving of of myself because I, I was reading it, this is all from your book, okay? But reading into it, I'm like, man, this is like <laughs> all this negative self talk comes from just not for not being able to just forgive yourself and knowing you're going to make mistakes. This this acceptance, like, how do we how do we achieve that? Because it's so I hear that chatter in my head all day. It's like, oh, that was stupid, Tristan. Or that was that was messed up. Mm-hmm. How do we achieve this? All right, here we go. This is this is deep. So what's going on here is starting at a young age, we take on false limiting beliefs about ourselves. And we imprint those as a way of making sense of significant perceived rejection. So as we're bumbling along as children, right? As we're bumbling along, we are, you know, we're 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 these delightful, present, awake, aware little beings, but with underdeveloped brains, right? So the prefrontal cortex doesn't start developing until adolescence. And so when we're quite when we're young, we're two, three, four, five, you know, especially around two when we're learning language and we're using language as a tool to stay connected with our caregivers and those of around us, you know, we we're we're bumbling along. And up until a certain point, you know, unless we're unless we are in those just 
very unfortunate situations where, you know, truly you're being abused. And I mean, just those unfortunate situations that unfortunately do occur. But I'd say for the average individual where the parents are, you know, trying to do their best and they're, they're loving the child, you know, these children up until a certain point are going to know themselves. I mean, if you've seen a toddler, you're going to know what I'm talking about. They know themselves as whole and complete. They know themselves as totally whole. Now, do they think of themselves as perfect? No. Do they think of themselves as unfallible? No. But there is no sense of lack or inadequacy or not enoughness or wrongness or offness or undeservingness. They just know themselves as complete. And that's all they can know. And think about then this is what's so great. Because of that, that's why they are so delightful to be around because they are so all they're so accepting. They're so loving and they're so free because here, if you know yourself is complete, then you're not worried about what the world thinks of you because you know yourself is complete. And so that's why they can run around with boogers in their nose and a red sock and a blue sock and a tutu and a fireman hat. And they could care less about what people think because they're so alive. And then what happens is, you know, as, as this child grows and navigates the complexities of life and the inevitable just turmoil that ends up happening in in households, situations will occur that to an adult looking down at the event, it's going to be, you know, insignificant, rather trivial. This is just life. It's complex. This is just what happens. But to a child who can't understand, you know, the difference between, I mean, no, they can't tell the difference between fact and fiction. Young when they're that young, they don't understand really delayed gratification, irony, sarcasm, mm-hmm. all of these things aren't really clicking just yet. And so you could take that event and it is so triggering of, I mean, the event meaning it's going to feel, it's, it's like rejection, right? So in my mm-hmm. case, and as I share in the book, I have a very vivid, visceral feeling-based memory of being taken to diet daycare for the first time in my life at three years old. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny story. You know, my mom was doing the best she could, but to my little being, I sensed, oh my gosh, my mom doesn't want me around. Oh my gosh. And, uh-huh. and, you know, my mom's doing the best she can. My parents own a nightclub. She doesn't, she thinks I need to be around children, not drunkards, you know? <laughs> so, so she's like, let me take this sweet child to the, to a daycare. I perceive it as, oh my gosh, my mom doesn't want me around. Now, is it, do I, do I think this in words? Not quite, but I feel that feeling reality happens. And so. I end up imprinting a belief such as I'm not good enough or I'm I'm not worthy or I'm a burden or whatever it might be in order to make sense of this pain. Because the bigger story here and why this is so significant is that rejection truly is like death to the brain. And the brain is constantly trying to keep us safe. That's its job. And it can't differentiate between environmental threats and social threats. It treats rejection like it, like a tiger jumping out of a bush at you. And so formidably, if you have an event that the brain can't differentiate, say, between mom jumping, mom do, dropping you off at daycare and tiger jumping out of a bush, the brain's going to say, okay, you know what? Whoa, that was a close call. Got to make sure this doesn't happen again. I got to protect you. So gosh, what do I need to look out for? Hmm. Well, it's not the world. It can't be your mom's fault. Because if it's your mom's fault, you're hosed. So it's not your mom's fault. So, oh, it's got to be your fault. So boom, you imprint Mm. negative self-beliefs. And then the whole conversation about how beliefs, we we live right into them. 
I mean, that's, and, and, and then the practicing of, of that, of that perceptual lens, like living through that, then comes the inner dialogue. Then that just becomes a habit. And then, you know, a couple decades later, you're like, wow, all I do is berate myself. Where does this come from? And Mm -hmm. it's my firm belief hypothesis that it'll really all maps back to these beliefs we imprint to stay safe. Mm, That's so true. I, I, I like that, that loop. And I think that rejection obviously is how we view the world, right? All of these biases we have that we've built on, on top of this rejection. Interesting. Interesting. Think about it. Like if you just stop for a second and think about what drives you and what you're afraid of, notice how almost everything maps back to a need for acceptance, approval, or a fear of some sort of negative judgment that maps to rejection. So Almost crazy. everything. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now. I feel like, yeah, I'm driven by, I'm driven by acceptance. I need people to, I need people to be okay with my choices or what I say or what I do. It's like well, now we're working backwards. It's like from what you're saying, we're these amazing little beings that didn't care, mm-hmm. right? And we're like, yeah, I'm happy being me. And then it's like, wait a second, I'm not happy being me. I, I guess I'm happy being who you think I should be, right? Yes. yes. And then it's like, now I have to like work out of that. How, how the hell do we work out of that? <laughs> I had to really think about this one. I mean, well, that's what I've spent the past, gosh, thir- more, more than 13 years, more than that, actually, work, <laughs> working through. But I'll just start by saying, you know, rather than looking at this as a really, messed up trajectory that all of us walk down that just seems so unnecessary and unfortunate. I've actually decided that it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's almost, it's almost like if we really want to live our best life, if we truly, truly, truly want to claim the life we were born to live, if we truly want to live into our full potential, you have to know who you're not so you can claim who you are. I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of like a universal principle. You can't know what you want unless you know what you don't want. That's just the nature of duality that we live in. Can't know up without down. You can't know birth without death. And so therefore you can't know who you are unless you know who you aren't. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I don't think it would be very fun to just float around in this just kind of like, oh, state, you know, (laughs) just all is well. And I mean, I guess I'd be okay, but really where the juice of life and that just the delight of living and the joy is being able to choose. And that's why I wrote the book. It's the power of choice. That is our superpower Mm. is to be able to choose who we are and what we're about versus it just involuntarily happening to us. But in order to do that, you got to confront who you're not. And so the best way to do that is really to live that so that you have all reason to choose otherwise. All right, let, let me go on to the title because I only give the first portion of it. It's Living on Purpose, Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and and uh, Enjoy. I thought I memorized it, but I had to look down and be like, eh. <laughs> um, Long subject. <laughs> so that's good because now we're getting into the choices. The book, uh, now I have to cheat a little bit, okay? So I'm going to go back to the, there are three parts to it. Right. So 
how did you divide the three parts so that we're flowing with it? Because I know I have my favorite chapters, but first tell me the three parts and what they flowed like for you. Well, you know, it's interesting. The So before I answer that, this process, this roadmap that I offer, it's a, re- it's a really organic, dynamic roadmap. And it's yeah. where it came from was just the the hundreds and hundreds of coaching conversations I've I've had for over a decade and really in walking with and working with all walks of life. So it's spanning a whole spectrum. And recognizing that there were very universal themes in the ways in which we hold ourselves back from innate joy and fulfillment. And just because of who I am, being massively curious and passionate about this, I continued to work with it and research and try things. And over the course of um, enough time, I ended up kind of with a, an organic process that is really based in logic and science and, you know, some, some transpersonal principles about what it, what, what do we really need to do here to thrive? And so Hmm. when I wanted to write the book, I had an idea of what it was going to be. And then I started, and it's so funny. I don't know if, if you've written a book or talk to anybody that's written a book, you think you know what it is and then you get going. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, hold on. Like, so for example, for me, what I thought was going to be chapter one ended up being chapter six, (laughs) you Uh, know, and then it was, uh, and, (laughs) (laughs) and so part one really developed organically as a result of, um, just, just recognizing that there, there's a flow here I need to spell out more, more deeply. And so it's, it, all of it really came through as, as and it's, it's a logical process. So I, I'll share with you, I'm, I studied math in, Berk, uh, in college. I went to UC Berkeley. I was a pure mathematics, a mathematician. So my brain craves that, just that obje- being able to take data and, and, and find patterns and meaning and, and irrefutably present information that succinctly explains what we're talking about. And that's really what math is about. And so my brain loves that. And this book, you know, it's, I mean, we're talking about subjective stuff. It's about thriving. It's about Mm -hmm. how you feel. It's about feeling good. It's about realizing joy. So how do you make that objective? Well, that's really what the approach was. So I had to break it down into these three parts to take you on a journey to understand that there's some part one, there's some fundamental perceptual shifts we need to make about life itself. And then step two or part two, there are some fundamental shifts that we have to make about how we regard ourselves. And then part three is really, it's, it's really the unlock in a fundamental shift in the way in which we think about beliefs and that we think about knowing and, and how we regard how we how we navigate this relationship with self. So that sounds kind of formal, but in the book it's it's pretty I, I break it down in a in a in a pretty logical but easy to understand way. I agree. You did a very good job. Oh thank you. Yeah you try to you try to make it flow in a in a way where you I think where you thought the reader could kind of build on on the the previous steps it's like hey you're taking me through a really understandable logical journey it's like oh this is cool very good uh, so i lo- i love that chapter 12 though 
um, be intolerant of feeling <laughs> crappy. That's my favorite chapter. <laughs> I love that you love it as much as I do. I must say that at least three times a week to folks. I'm like, yeah. if you, really, you know, because they, they're like, oh, I want this. I want, I want to do that. I want to do that. I'm like, well, you know, it really requires you just have to make the decision that you're intolerant of feeling crappy. <laughs> Once you right. make that decision, kind of wake up. <laughs> yeah. How do we do that? Because I, I don't think that I ever, well, I don't ever hear people ask themselves, say, well, how do you want to feel today? Do you want to feel great? Or do you want to feel like crap? Right. Which one? Yeah. Choose. It's kind of easy. I want to feel great. Yes. And I do everything that makes me feel crappy. Exactly. Well, you just pointed right. I mean, I love that you went right there because this is one of the biggest unlocks for a lot of folks. It's it's because, you know, many of us are conditioned to go achieve goals, figure out what to do. Like, what is it? Who You know, what do I want to go do in the world? How much money do I want to go make? What industry do I want to be in? What goals do I want to achieve? What things do I want to amass? What accomplishments do I want to have? But rarely do we ask, what do I want to feel? Mm. And that disconnect between doing and feeling is so it's, oh gosh, it's big and it's, it's got significant implications and the, and really to break this down, everything us humans want whether it's a new job, more money, a new relationship, a bigger house, you know, health. It's, 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 we don't want it for the concept or the idea or the thing. We want it because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. And at the end of the day, all of us want some sense of peace, joy, love, connection, fulfillment, meaning, you name it. It's, your, it's up to you to define how that shows up for you. But it, all of us want a feeling, not a thing. And then we think the thing we don't check this out, but we assume that the thing that we're wanting gets us to this really kind of unrealized, unacknowledged, desired feeling state. And so we go chase the thing, and then we end up with these great lives on paper, or decent lives on paper, and then we wonder why we're so miserable. And so, again, we're in this habit of, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. But we're not asking, well, what do you want to feel? Could I feel this out? And so to really live a life of meaning and joy, we have to get down to basics and kind of look at this very basic truth that we want a feeling and then just start asking a very simple question. What do you want to feel? What do you want to feel? Yeah. And then that's where it becomes, it's like, yeah, well, I, right. I don't want to feel crappy. (laughs) And so then it follows, you kind of have to make a decision. Okay. Well, yeah, if I want to feel good, then I have to decide that I don't want to feel crappy anymore. And then you realize, well, well, why do I feel crappy? Well, it's not because of the world out there. And that's a big one for folks. It's, we want to blame yeah. the world out there. It's because traffic is so bad. It's because my mom is such a pain in the butt. It's because whatever it might be. But believe it or not, it's it's not the world out there. It's our relationship to the world out there. Hmm. Our that's focus true. determines our reality. But we get to determine our focus. And so, you know, in order to really play this game, that I propose, because this is a game. This is the game of life. It's fun. You know, we have to start with, hey, you guys got to decide you're done feeling crappy. How much of what we're actually wanting to feel, to, to feel great, how much of that is actually ingrained into our childhood with acceptance and those being the feelings that we're actually going towards because we were we were morphed into a little being by our 
parents and, and family in our environment. Mm-hmm. Are those still the feelings we should be shooting for, like acceptance and, and those things, or is it different? I think I think it's going to be unique. And I think that's totally okay to say, I want to feel accepted. I want to feel really, because I mean, if you take that farther, it's we want to feel safe with others. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that, to, to, to a human, life to a human, thriving to a human really is to feel like we are safe, that we belong, and that we are seen with, with, with one another. And that's a very mm-hmm. innate primal drive. And there's nothing wrong in wanting that. Yeah. And, you know, in the process of really identifying what it is you want to feel, something you can do is is just ask yourself, like, what do I want? Or what do I want to feel? And every time you come up with an answer, just encourage yourself to go farther. So for example, it's like, okay, well, I want this new job. Well, okay, why? Well, because I want to feel important. Okay, well, so, and then you keep going. Okay, well, so that, well, if I'm a, uh, and I, like, so if I do that, so that, well, so that if you feel important, then I feel like I've really made it. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm I'm there. Okay. Well, I want that so that, so you follow it up with so that, so that, well, I'm there. Okay. Well, then it really kind of, I've got peace of mind. Ah, okay. Well, now we're getting somewhere. What peace of mind? Yeah. Because if I'm there, then I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. So really with that peace of mind, what I'm looking for is spaciousness and a bit of freedom. Yeah. But peace of mind, just inner peace. Ah, but notice how we started with important. I wanted to feel important, but really mm-hmm. with that map too, in this example, it might be actually in our peace. Hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. We also, I, I love that you said that we want to feel safe with others because I'm thinking, I understand why when you said that, I, the first thing I, I thought of was social media. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that, that makes, it makes sense how this is why there's so many problems going on on social. That's like, we don't feel safe saying the things that we say because we feel attacked. Yeah. It's like, wait, what just happened here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, how how do you think we can approach if we're going to dive into social and use it for business, for relationships, for whatever? How do you think we approach it best so that we can we can use it to communicate better or just get along better with people? You know, this is oh my gosh. How much time? Like we could spend so much time on this. And I'll tell you personally, I have to do a lot of work myself to get to a place where I I feel neutral about social media. Um, I was just talking to this with a client of mine yesterday, a friend actually, and she's a friend and client. And we were we were sharing, like, you know, if I could look at social media like like fire, right? So fire is one of those things that makes humanity so much like without fire, we wouldn't be where we are. Like it, it truly Mm -hmm. has made humanity. It it has given us so much. We can cook food with it. We can stay warm. We can light, we can create light in the dark. Like it truly enables us to live, but if used incorrectly, it will kill. And so, you know, I'm trying to look at social media as this, it's as a, as an entity that really Mm -hmm. when used Mm -hmm. with intention and used in the right way, it can truly make humanity better, but used, but if you're not paying attention, if you're not conscious, if you're not in in integrity, it could hurt you pretty badly. Yeah. And and as you know, I'm sure you've seen the reports of these poor children, but suicide, you know, their suicide rates are high and 
depression. And so, um, so I first have to think about it like that, that it's a neutral entity and it's really the energy and the intention that we bring to it. Huh. So what you said, which is what you focus on, right? What you focus on determines how you view. Okay. So this applies to that too. Yeah. Uh, what you focus on on social determines how you view it. Interesting. So if we if we're like saying, oh, social sucks, you should really start focusing on the good part of social, right? Yeah. Start taking those other people out and be like, I don't want to be around those type of people. Interesting. Well, like and them. so I'll tell you, I'll just share with you very candidly for me. Um, as you've learned in my book, like I'm huge on the principle of feeling it out, not figuring it out. Yes. That was my next question. Yes. And so, yeah, this is perfect because we'll, we'll tie it in. I, I completely and totally only live off inspiration. If I don't feel expansive about something, I will not go forth mm-hmm. because I have learned that choosing what is expansive and energizing, even though it might not be logical. And I have to be honest with myself, right? It might feel expansive and energizing to eat a bag of chips and watch TV versus, you know, work <laughs> on my book. Right? So I have to be really honest with myself about what I ultimately want to feel, you know, and I'm, I've, I've gotten good at that. So I'm, I'm really clear, clear about what I want to feel and very, very clued in. So I follow the expansive, what feels right, what feels good, what feels energizing. And what, where my feeling has led me to is I just, I have no inspiration to look in the direction of TikTok. I don't even find joy in scrolling and watching videos. I, it, it feels, it, it literally drains me. It's um, same with the Instagram. It's, I don't feel energized by it. I like LinkedIn. And I think it's because of the nature of my business because I'm connected with all the companies I coach and that I enjoy. But because it doesn't feel, I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to organically get to this place where it feels more expansive. Right. Because the moment yeah. I attempt social media as a should, it's going to fall flat. I should do this. Right. And as you know, that's chapter four in my book, I should do not. Right? And that I think should is the worst word in the English language. And it just holds mm-hmm. us underwater. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, and so if just going back to your comment about like, oh, we should just, you know, see what's right about social media and focus it in that way. And I would say, absolutely, if you gen- genuinely want to. Not because you think you should. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So yeah. how do you, with that, because yeah. I agree with you on that. How do you then do a better job as a human to be able to show up on a more consistent basis to view the world that way, to say, hey, I'm seeing opportunities and I'm showing up my best self so that I can see more of those opportunities. What are some processes that you have in place to show up a better you? Oh, well, I think it goes right back to chapter 12 and you brought that up. I've just, because I've made the decision to be intolerant of feeling crappy, Mm. I'm naturally compelled to shift my focus and my perspective in a way that is going to serve me. So very, very simply, right? If you could take all emotions and map them, put them on a scale, right? And so just all positive are up above this neutral line and all negative emotions are below this neutral line. The truth is we all want to hang out above the neutral line. Mm-hmm. And so if we're intolerant of feeling crappy, then that means we're going to catch when we've dipped below. And so that's not wrong. It's not bad. It's 
incredible information and there's nothing wrong with negative emotion. There's nothing wrong with bad emotions. It's a part of the human process. We need them to be fully human. And you're also in the driver's seat of your life. You, you get to determine the quality of your life. And so when you realize you're done feeling crappy with whatever situation you're in, then you're going to do something about it. And so being sensitive to how you feel is a beautiful effect of being intolerant of feeling crappy. And so that when you're sensitive to how you feel, you can catch it and then make these little pivots. And so if I'm feeling off about something, I recognize it's, it's likely because of how I'm framing it, what I'm choosing to focus on. Am I looking at what's wrong instead of what's right? What's missing instead of what's here? What's, like missing, yeah, what's missing instead of what's possible? Yeah. Yes. Yes. What's possible, right? How did you, you personally, how did you get there so that you're better at that part? Because I don't, I don't know that everyone would be great at that part where they're currently living in their heads, mm-hmm. right? 100% how do you, right. how did you practice to get there? What did you need to do? I love that you asked this question. Almost never, nobody asked this question. And I think it's such an important question. There, you know, what it all comes down to is, is the practice of mindfulness. And naturally the people tend to go to meditation as a way of strengthening mindfulness. And I'm a huge advocate and practitioner myself of, of mindfulness meditation. There are many ways to practice mindfulness, but at some point in one's journey here, if, if, if everything we're talking about is interesting, I have found that you, one will organically come to this realization that, oh my gosh, really it all comes down to my ability to be present, my ability to be aware, to be awake in this moment. Because what does awake, where does, what does a, a mindfulness mean? Well, mindfulness is simply that ability to be, to notice the moment, like to be aware of the moment while you're in the moment. It's that, it's, it's your totally present to here right now, just observing non-judgmentally to what is arising, noticing it objectively, being present with what is not being lost in narrative or thought. And that, I mean, this really, that is our, that's the Royal road to thriving is, is mindfulness. And so, um, side note, I'm actually in a two-year certification program to become a, to just add mindfulness meditation teacher. certification to, to not to switch gears and just go teach meditation, but it's such a big part of all of this work. And I'm even a practitioner. I mean, I love it. I mean, I do it daily. I have been doing this for years. I thought, you know, I should probably just fill my tool belt, (laughs) you know, a little more fully here. I'm just going to dive in. Yeah. (laughs) Is that now, how, how does that differ from the other course that you've got that virtual workshop? make each conversation count. Yeah. You touch on that there or how are they different from oh, what you're in to do? Great. Thank you for that. So the virtual workshop you're alluding to, that's, that's about, that's about being effective in our conversations. What is the science behind effective communication, the neuroscience of trust? What does it mean to be conversationally intelligent? Right. So that's really what this focus is, is how do we, because we know what IQ is. We know what EQ is, emotional intelligence. Well, there's CIQ, which is conversationally intelligent. And this is the art and the science of being able to connect and to navigate, to grow with one another. It goes back to how can I 
be in relationship with others via this thing called communication. By the way, that's where all of our life is. None of us live in a vacuum. It's all via communication. Mm -hmm. So what do I need to do in my speaking and listening in order to ensure that others feel safe, that they belong, that they are seen, and I can maximize and optimize every aspect of my relationships via the vehicle that makes a relationship a relationship, which is the communication that occurs between it, right? Between two people. So that's what conversational intelligence and effective communication is all about. So that workshop, this is a whole area of expertise and passion of mine, communication. So the way it relates is that if to, to really be conversationally intelligent, to show up and to thrive in all of our interactions, the engine by which we do this well is truly being aware, being awake, being mindful. And so mindful, mm -hmm. mindfulness, mindful meditation, or any other sort of exercise to grow mindfulness, that, that's like growing the muscle in your brain to be aware so that you can choose to respond instead of react in your moments. Because that's what it comes down to. More, you and I are in conversation. I can either react to what you're saying or I can respond to what you're saying. But in order to harness that choice point, I have to be aware. And the greatest and the most powerful way to grow that awareness is mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, or some form of that. Yeah. I like that. Do you have a, a morning routine, evening routine that you do to keep you in, 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 in state so that you're, you know, you're looking at more possibilities instead of being a victim oh. of everything? Absolutely. I, I bet you do too. And I'll tell you, yeah. do you have one as well? Yeah, I do, but I'm I'm concerned about what I love your book. It's like <laughs> this is so cool. I want to know yours. Yes, yes. Well, I'm I am a huge fan of the morning routine. In fact, sometimes I can't wait to go to bed at night because I just I love getting up in the morning. <laughs> and I have to wake up so early because both my kids, God bless them, they love waking up really early. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I want, I need my time before they wake up and they just, they're like, they're trying, they get up earlier and earlier. Now it's six. I'm like, you guys don't need to wake up that early. And so I'll get up between 4.30, around 4.30 or five. And I'm, and I usually do a little bit of self-study that is right now it's, it's perfect. Cause with my certification program, I've so much material to consume around, you know, Buddhist psychology and mindfulness and meditation and all of that, which is lovely. So I'll usually read for about 30 minutes and then I'll meditate for about 30 to 40 minutes after that. And then, um, and then I, I go into, uh, and then I exercise. So I'm either doing yoga or I'm doing, I'm weightlifting or some form of exercise for the next 30, 45 minutes. But, you know, for, but what's interesting is that, you know, everything about this is so intentional and sacred, even mm -hmm. in my meditation. So even though it's a mindfulness meditation, I end my meditation you know, if you're familiar with metta practice, metta is this practice where you you um, you send love and well-being to yourself and to others around you. I do my own form of that, you know, but I'm very intentional about, you know, claiming my purpose for this day. What is, you know, what is my guide? What will I use for as my guide and my fuel? And what will I, when am I going to visualize being as my reality today? And that usually takes about five minutes, but it's very organic at the end of that meditation. And it's, it's lovely. I've been doing this for years. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I love the word. I love that you use the word intentional. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is something that you're doing for yourself, right? With, with that intent behind it. 
And I feel like a lot of us are more reactive to everything with, with less intent, right? Yes. Yeah. So almost like you're allowing yourself, well, going back to what you said at the beginning, which is self-love, right? Part of this acceptance is being intentional to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I feel like, and I wrote this down as you were talking. Um, I know you've heard of probably the hero's journey. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking as you're talking, I'm like, this feels like, like the human journey. Like, yeah, well said. <laughs> yes. Like, wait a second. Like I, I had never thought about rejection that way as you, you were talking to me about it earlier. And so I was, I was thinking like, this is, when you're saying we we have to find out who we aren't before we find out who we are, you just made me feel like, oh, it's okay to fail through everything, right? Because yes. I'm now I'm looking at it differently. Yes, yes. Yeah, which I loved, by the way. I loved that one. That was really good. Thank you. And that is such an important principle, because what what we're talking about here is is it's really the art and the practice of of being with what is without resistance, letting things, you know, because the truth is all of us are going to have mistakes and tragedies and failures and pain and suffering. And we're, things are not going to have gone our way. We're going to have, um, I mean, just all of that's going to happen. We're all going to imprint some form of negative belief about ourselves. And so to see it as kind of, to see it as kind of purposeful, it it absolutely shifts your relationship to what is and frees up all these incredible resources that are that are there within you to be used in such more powerful ways otherwise if we don't we just end up resisting ourselves and reality and gosh that's exhausting and all these incredible inner resources just get jammed up they don't get channeled out to the world where we can create and innovate and and connect you know it's true. Yeah, I do, I do see that. What what do you what you mentioned a little bit earlier about thriving? Mm-hmm. And what do you think we need to do to to thrive? What's like the the key thing that you've noticed is important that we're missing? Mm. Gosh. Well, I think is it cheating to say like the five choices in my book really? No. <laughs> Give them to me so people will be like, yeah. I have to read this book. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, well, first off, let's just say basic, base level, kind of at an axiom level here, this idea of being aware and being mindful is absolutely um, fundamental. I don't overtly talk about it. It does come up in my book. I have a little section about it. I don't start there, It, it but one generally will get to the point where they realize, wow, in order to thrive, I have to be in the driver's seat. I can do that, but I have to harness choice. I have to, re- in order to do, okay, react versus, mm-hmm. re- okay, respond. It got it. Okay. I, I need to be awake. I need to be aware. So that's one of them. But I would say kind of the core tenets to, to genuinely thrive in this human experience. The first in my book, it's, you know, feel it out. Don't figure it out. So this goes back to this idea that everything we want is for a feeling, not for a thing. But if we don't pull that variable in of what we want to feel, we're going to be chasing things and just oftentimes achieving stuff that completely forsake what we actually want to feel. And then we live these lives where we're underneath the neutral line. I'm going to say something I learned from that part. I just remembered it. Yeah. Um, because so I, I have different meetings, uh, different businesses that I'm either part of or just meetings that we we have. And I always hear 
I always hear people say, oh, let me think about it. Or let me noodle on that. Or let me chew on that. What they're really saying after I read that, I was like, oh, what they're saying is, let me let me see if I can feel good with this. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, let's just get to the core of this. That's exactly what I thought when I read that earlier. I was like, oh, let me see if I can jive with this. Like, if I can feel good about this. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that was a big aha for me. I you just that. reminded me. Oh, I love that so much. I love that. That's that's probably very likely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So continue. Feel yeah. it out. Aware. Yeah. So so then once we realize that really what we're after is a feeling and we start to trust our inspiration and that it's leading us, it's I call it the path of least resistance to the most abundance is when we follow our inspiration. And it's so delightful. And this is when life starts to feel magical is when you really start to follow your inspiration. So when you start doing that, then you have to start, you confront this very insidious word, should. Mm. I should be doing this versus I want to be doing this. Because if I'm following my feeling and I want to do something versus I'm following my feeling and then this thing called should pops up, well, I should be doing this instead. Well, we really have to confront this. And so I'm so fired up about this whole thing I... It's so interesting to me, this word should. A lot of people get that it just, it does, it's not a great word. And maybe you even heard like mental health professionals might say, oh, you know, don't, don't you should know, get rid of the shoulds, don't should on yourself, that sort of stuff. And it's, we, we jokingly say that and we use it sometimes in that disparaging way, like, oh, you should do this. But we've never really stopped to consider why it feels bad. And interestingly, I did a, I just did a query on Google Scholar to see if any studies have been done on the, done on the word should, and not one. Except there's one corollary oh. study that I found. It was published in 2018, and it was um, the title of the paper is "It's Does Could Lead to Good," and what the paper is on it's about how if you replace could for should, you generate a lot more moral insight and end up coming up with a lot more creative solutions. But it doesn't talk about why. And again, I'm like, this is fascinating to me that we, you know, we have this general feeling-based understanding that should isn't great, but there's Mm -hmm. been no rigorous curiosity as to why. And so the reason I wrote chapter four is because I have a big hypothesis as to why, and I break it down like a math proof. But I promise it doesn't read like a math proof. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, does, it does not read like a math book. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, but it has to do with this concept of resistance. It has to do with the way in which we navigate. It's it's so anyway, so so number two, the, the what I would say to thrive, we have to decide that there is no way things or you should be ever. That there is no should reality out there that we need to measure ourselves up against in order to live the good life. Because should implies that there's some fixed reality out there that we have to measure ourselves against in order to be good, live good, experience good, but that just does not exist. And we hold ourselves underwater to this false premise. So a whole deep dive into that one. Like it's that. a lot of people's favorite chapter. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds very Yoda, Yoda-esque. Like yeah, there. there's no Oh, try, right? There is do or do not. It's like, there is no should. There is or there isn't. That's right. right? Interesting. It's, it's exactly like right. That. Yeah. Awesome. So then the third is, it's always working out for you. So this touches upon what you were mentioning yeah. earlier. Yeah, please. It looks like you had something to say. Go no, ahead. no, I just remembered that. I was like, yeah, that's so, that was, that was really good too. I was just like, yeah. 
your talk earlier about looking for what's possible. This is totally it right here. This is it. Yeah, that was exactly. all. Sorry. Oh yeah. no, I love it. I love it. Well, this one here, it can be it can be a little hard for people to to digest at first because they're like, well. I would have never have willed this. I, you know, how, how was this working out for me that I had to experience this in my childhood or that I had to, you know, and, and I don't have answers as to why things occur in the way that they do. I'm not God. I don't know how this whole thing works, but the one thing that I think we can all agree upon is that shit happens. Excuse my language, but that's just life that there you, you just have to expect the unexpected and there is pleasure and there is pain. There is joy and there is suffering. That is the nature of human life. And all of us are going to experience stuff that we didn't want, we didn't anticipate and actually set us back, sets us back. All of us are going to experience trauma and trailer and, 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 and failure and, and loss and tragedy. That's just, that's just what happens. But yet we live as if it shouldn't, there's the should, or that, we can we can escape it, but we can't. You know, I think it was Marshall Goldstein. I heard him say a long time ago that there's a high probability that low probability events are going to come in and sideswipe you. You know, I mean, and that's just true, <laughs> that's <a good> thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's just true. And so, when we can let go of the resistance to these things that are just going to, it's it's shit's going to happen. But how I relate to this stuff is really determines my thriving or not. And, you know, I'll just really briefly, I'll share with the tool that's in that chapter is, you know, how many times are you in your now moment? Here we are, it's today. And you can look back to your past and you go, oh gosh, yeah, I remember when I was 13, this thing happened to me and it was awful and I would never will it on my worst enemy. And gosh, you know, it was just so painful. But if, you know, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have met this person and I wouldn't have done that. And I wouldn't have learned this and I wouldn't have did it. And then we get to this place where we are in our now moment. And we say, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for that. And so we can always in our now moment can look back to the, I call it the shit and then find meaning. And so this is where, I mean, we always are able to do this. And it's my, it's my hypothesis that it's, you know, the severity of the, of the shit, shit, if you don't mind me saying so, the severity of it really kind of determines how much time I need in order to cultivate the gifts. But I always will be able to cultivate the gifts. And so if you can decide that it's always working out for you, then naturally what you start to do is that when you're in a shit moment, so let's say you didn't get the job offer, right? Or in my case, I'm just going to be super candid right now. I <laughs> submitted my, uh, this, my very fun should talk to TEDx and they were like, we really like it. You're 80% there. There's just, there's too much. People don't have the attention spans. And I was like, oh my God. So I'm going through a shit moment. Like, oh my God, I, I really <laughs> want to get this out to the world. So I've got my own shit moment, but I'm like, okay, you know what though? Hold on. How is this actually manure? Because it is. So instead mm -hmm. of thinking of it as unwanted, I'm just going to just say, hey, well, you know what? It, it's icky right now, but it's definitely, if, if I go to my future state, let's say three years from now, Three years from now, I'm going to look back and go, you know what? Gosh, I'm so glad. You know, it sucked at the time, but I'm really glad it did. I didn't get it. And I'll, I'll very likely be saying that. So why not embrace that now? And so part of this third choice of knowing that it's always working out for you is being able to, to turn shit to manure and explain to yourself how this is on, on purpose to your future vision. 
of what you want to feel. Yeah. 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 So that's the third one. The fourth is going back to our wisdom of our childhood years, which is you just have to, you know, you have to know that you're already whole and complete. You just have to know that because guess what? You were born whole and complete. You were totally whole and complete all through your little years. You were whole and complete before you got the ice cream cone that mom, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't give you. And you were whole and complete after you didn't get the ice cream cone, but your cousin did. You just decided you weren't. And so then for the rest of those years, you've lived into this model through the the paradigm of believing and so constantly proving this idea that you're not good enough, but it's not true because underneath all that, you're still whole and complete. So you got to get in touch with the real truth. And then the fifth one to really thrive is to understand the difference between believing and knowing. And the fifth one is you have to know, don't believe your worth. That's a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the previous one though about about feeling like I I I was thinking like how does how does comparison play into that because I feel a lot of people are always looking and saying well man I wish I was like that right and then and then number your number 4 becomes a lot more challenging because we're so focused on what we don't have right um how do we how do we do a better job with the comparison piece? Well, you know, and I'm especially if I'm working with clients on this one, I like to uh, just always offer that I think it's a universal truth that all of us are silently suffering in some way, shape, or form. You know, there's a quote I really appreciate, and the quote is, "Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know. It's easy to look at the facade of others because it is a facade. We aren't in their inner worlds. We don't know their inner dialogue. We don't know the workings of their heart. We don't know the pain and the stories and the and the fears and, and the history that they are that they hold within. All we see are these really manicured Instagram pages, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's easy to assume that they've got it all figured out. But I can say with confidence, no one has it figured out. I'm sorry. And I don't care if you're a billionaire. You still don't have it figured out. You just just got money. Fine. If you figured that one out, but did you figure inner peace out? Nope. You know what? Nope. Nope. And so just oftentimes recognizing that it, it is a no win, no winning. Game. It's just there, you get nothing out of comparing yourself because there it, it's not apples to apples. It's not oranges to oranges. It's just, it's just a being. And so I like to look at everyone as this incredible mystery that is totally whole and complete, that is doing the darn best they can with all that they have, that is also suffering in some way. And when I remember that, all I can do is feel compassion and curiosity for this incredible trajectory that they're creating for themselves in the world. Mm-hmm. And rather than compare, I will find inspiration. Like, what are they doing that is inspiring me to do something different? Right? Or prompts me to want to do something different. We can always find inspiration out there. And that's so much, that's so much more nourishing. And that's really thriving. Versus resistance, because otherwise, when we compare, essentially what we're doing is we're pushing against and resisting ourselves. I love it. I think, thank you, by the way. Uh, I love the title, Living on Purpose. I think you could have gone 
a few different ways with it. How did you end up picking the title Living on Purpose? Well, because the publisher wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> what I really yeah, that's wanted. That's done. That was yeah. Well, what I wanted was always on purpose. Because that was oh, that was what was important to me. Because that's the name like of my that. yeah, that's the name of my comp- my practice. That's been my tagline. It's I've had it for years, and it just made sense that the book was always on purpose. And mm-hmm. the publisher was like, you know, we don't think people are going to really pick up on what this is. And then I had a friend say, and, and then after it was all said and done, and we chose living on purpose, I had a friend say, well, to be fair if I hear always on purpose, that kind of stresses me out. Like I have to always be on purpose. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I don't want that either. So <laughs> True. true. I, I like it. I was after I, I've, after our talk now, Yeah. I feel like it could have also gone with thinking on purpose Yeah. because I'm like, wait a second, you're teaching me how to think like we're so oh, stuck that. on, we're so stuck on everything else, but you just outlined how I should think, how I should have my children think, how I how I now have a, a purposeful way of living life through yeah. these thoughts. I'm like, oh, this is so good. By the way, amazing. Oh, and, thank you. It's like mindset on purpose. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Whatever it's called, it's damn good. <laughs> oh, thank you. That really means a lot. <laughs> Amy, where do yeah. we go find more about you? Yeah. So my website. Always on purpose. So there you go. That's <laughs> you can take advantage of it there. There's tons of information there. I've got a lot of resources, practices, downloads, um, offers that are that I'm that are available. That's it. Always on purpose. You can sign up. You can follow me. Get inspiration. All that great stuff. I'm also on LinkedIn. And I'm Amy Elisa Wong on LinkedIn. You can find me there. I do have an Instagram page. My inspiration has not led me to focus on it very much. That might change. I don't know. (laughs) But go ahead and follow me because, you know, I'm actively looking at my beliefs around this and I'm like, you know, I I love helping people. And there's a lot of people out there that could, I, you know, I just, do I want to carve more time and look in that direction? I'm really kind of working through that. So by all means, also Amy Elisa Wong. I just just followed you. I just followed you. So Okay. Yeah. And then my book, you can get it anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, um, Amazon. I, and by the way, I, I narrated the audio book. So if you're an Audible oh, fan, cool. yeah, it's that was super fun. Nice. Do. I like that. I, I'm looking at your book on your website now, which is great, which order from Amazon, Barnes and Noble and Porchlight. Yeah. Multiple places. Yeah. You can get it on target.com. You can get it anywhere. I love it. Well, look, thanks for doing this. This was amazing. Thank Happy you. you made it. And I, I think our talk was really good. I'm going to share this one with my team and, and my kids. So, Oh, was- thank you. That, that, that delights me. I appreciate it. Make it. We're making the world a better place. Here we go. <laughs> Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.